You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this wonderful Tuesday morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning, Kathy. Good morning to our listeners. I am well. Excellent. Doing Excellent. Well. Everyone seems really chipper around here. Yeah, What's going on? I, you know, it's the air. It's, it's the air, the cold air. I don't know what it is, but uh, I guess I guess the walk from the bus stop uh, just gave me some fresh air for sure. Yeah, gave good. Me some, Good. Pep in, step, pep in your good. step. So when you warm up, we're going to have the good I, old Alex back. As, as you, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> as you know, I, I glided into my seat today, and uh, we almost uh, I almost forgot to adjust. Turn me on, on yeah. yeah. So <laughs> pardon that, that pun. That's, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say uh, typical Monday, but it's actually Tuesday, uh, yeah. so I just thought I'd be honest about it today. You know. Oh, good for you. As I try to be every day, but you know, sometimes you let things slide. But. Anyways, yeah, I'm he's have, ready. He's he's fun, sitting in his tell. seat. Yeah, he was I sitting think this in his is the seat. Most talking that I've done in thirty seconds <laughs> yeah. on this show. He was uh, sitting in his seat, ready to go, and I'm is... like, I can't hear anything, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's been fun. But uh, Kathy, this is your show. Please take it away. Oh, there. You go. Well, what's going on here? Well, we actually have um, our 25th anniversary coming up. Uh, right. In April is when the Italian station launched. April 5th. The two th- uh, 1995. So uh, over the course of the year, we're going to have different events. So at this point, there are various uh, committees that are discussing this. And eventually, in a, in a few weeks, uh, we're going to make this all uh, known through our website. And we encourage people to check our social media feeds and our website uh, over the course of the next few weeks and over the course of the year, because we have several several different events lined up that we're working on. That's amazing. It's uh, I mean, it, it's such a big deal for Radio Marie. I mean, we're 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 pervasive all over the world, but it's an amazing feat to have us here for a quarter of a century. A quarter of a century, and uh, yeah, we do it all by generous donations of people, and it's uh, that's right. You know nice. what? It really is spiritless, spiritually driven, isn't it? It's an amazing an amazing feat. So, uh, looking forward to seeing what's coming. Today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. There's still a few minutes to get in some more questions if you like. Um, If you want to call in, please do so. We never get calls in. It's really an option for you to engage with our guests. Uh, Today's guest, uh, Dr. Thomas Morris. Once you start to hear him, you'll understand why he's just such a calm, pleasant man and so um, so deep in thought. You may want to tap into that. So if you want to call in, please do feel free to do so. And please do subscribe to our podcast. We are The Health Hub. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. So you can find everything there. And as you know, all of our shows get turned over into podcast format. So they are eternally on uh, the Internet. So I wanted to in our first I guess it was our first show. I'm assuming it was our first show. I really didn't go back and check. I talked to you about um, some of the trends to look forward to in 2020 and the upcoming decade, and one of them that has uh, carried over from the last decade is the importance of sleep, of studying sleep, of the impact of sleep on health, and that will continue to be an impact. And in fact, this is uh, part of a great, great trend that I'm seeing where really we are starting to see how lifestyle, how our diet can so influence our health. And I think the more science 
um, meets with, with logic, let's say, and the more that is revealed, the more we are going to truly, truly grasp how we can take hold of our health, how we are responsible and are stewards for our own health. So this is a great thing. So um, with respect to sleep, uh, I wanted to introduce you to something new that I have uh, attached to my sleep routine. You know, we've talked about going to bed at a consistent hour, sleeping in the dark, turning off your electronics, sleeping in a cool room, all those wonderful habits. Um, and here's another one for, you know, you can consider it for your arsenal. It has been a blessing for me. Um, and I'll set the stage for uh, my repast every night. I have two dogs and as the dogs uh, and my husband, of course, but uh, it's the dogs I'm focusing on here. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's there too. Um, the dogs, as they've been aging, have um, really taken on this this great, great habit of snoring. So, uh, and, and, and coupled with the fact, to be perfectly honest, as I think as every day goes by, the only sense of mine that seems to be getting more acute is my hearing. The hearing, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I've got the dogs snoring and then, you know, every noise seems to waken me. And I'm, I'm going to assume that my hearing isn't getting better, that maybe I'm just not getting to sleep as deep. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I can hear, you know, if the kids get up, one of the kids gets up in the middle of the night to get a drink or uh, anything, you know, a noise, the wind. And I've, I've just had, um, you know, over the past little while, real hard time. And, and mm-hmm. we're kind of stuck with these dogs, right? I mean, they they won't move out into the hallway and they know how to open the door. So, I mean, it's just, it's brilliant. So here's what I have found, uh, thanks to the wonderful world of um, Alexas and Googles and so forth, white noise. <clears throat> so white noise has really, um, it's really been great for me. And in fact, um, I have, I have my phone with me if I'm away somewhere and I'll put the white noise on. But white noise is, um, it's like this fuzzy sound. I, you know, I can akin it to when the cable goes off yeah, on your TV. Yeah, that's what I was just picturing. Yeah, so that's sound. Yeah. Um, to be more scientific, if you want to do it, white noise is a combination of, of different frequencies and sounds. Um, and it's just this beautiful, constant noise that helps to mask out the sound of everything that seems to be going on. Um, I can still hear, but it just, it doesn't, it, it seems to, it calms, I don't know what it is. And I can't listen to spa sounds and I can't listen to rain sounds because they seem to have a pattern to them. So as, you know, the, yeah. the waves are washing into the shore, I'm waiting for the backlash sound no, the, as they're going out. There was definitely a period in, in, my, in my life recently that, you know, I, I just lacked the ability to sleep and I tried all sorts of apps and things like that. But definitely for me as well, the rain, because I kept anticipating. As, exactly. As you said, yeah. I, I thought my husband was like, oh, I love the spa sound. And, I, you know, I'm hearing the ding and I'm waiting for the next one. I thought, I said, I can't do it. Yeah. I just, I, this is the only thing. Yeah. Now, white there, noise is definitely the way the, to go. Do you use it? No, but um, at this point, I'm able to to sleep without an aid per se. So yeah. uh, ev- eventually, if I do uh, need to uh, find better ways of sleeping, then white noise is the way to go. So, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, um, I use I use Alexa. So at night, I'll say Alexa, turn on sleep sounds and what noise, and it's like the white noise. Yeah. There are different color noises, um, and they just they just vary the frequency sound. I think you know there's pink noise and there's brown noise, and and those frequencies I think gradually go lower. Right. Um, I listened to brown noise last night just to try and, and, you know, hone in the difference. And the white noise seems to be a higher frequency and the brown noise is is not. But, you know, studies have shown that the white noise really does have an effect. It does help you to fall asleep. And I can attest to that. It also um, has been shown to reduce anxiety. So just, Hmm. you know, I guess that it's calming. I haven't done any research, but I suppose, uh, I guess... I guess the deeper you sleep, the more it impacts your ability to dream and things like that, right? Obviously, it might. That possibly, I, I don't know. Possibly, I, it I might. Well, know, I guess so. the better sleep you have, the more possibility of dreaming, and the deeper the sleep you can get. Yeah. But um, it's it's just it's a constant hum, and mm-hmm. it also um, is great for students. It has been shown to help students concentrate uh, while they're studying. So. 
you know, just, that's uh, interesting because sometimes you have that concept of you needed complete silence, but then at the same time, if there's complete silence, then your mind wanders. Your mind wanders, and yeah. the tick of the talk and the clock. Well, so maybe I guess the clocks I'm, don't tick talk, anymore. As I'm talking to you, it, it it's it's making it's sense. making sense. Yeah. Well, clocks don't tick anymore, um, but you know, any noise if you're if you're a student and you're in a dorm, some people can block it. Up. But you know, a lot of kids do wear headphones and they listen to music, so they are looking for something to sort of uh, stimulate uh, some sort of activity in the brain to or, or, or hone out on on what's mm. going around. So, you know, if you have mm. issues studying or even reading, you know, sometimes if you're if you feel that you're distracted a lot, I, I just I wanted to bring this up to you because it really has has been a godsend for me. And um, it's it's something that uh, you know. Give it a try. You can you can uh, do it on your phone. I'm not sure what the app is on the phone, but I have uh, you know one of the things I talk to. So uh, just another tool for your your tool belt as far as sleeping. So uh, I wanted to pass that along because it was just it's just been so great for me. So on to today's show. Thomas Moore is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Care of the Soul. He has written 25 other books about bringing soul to personal life and culture, deepening spirituality, humanizing medicine, finding meaningful work, imagining sexuality with soul and doing religion in a fresh way. He is you, you know, sorry, excuse me. In his youth, he was a Catholic monk and studied music composition. He has a PhD in religious studies from Syracuse University and was a university professor for a number of years. He is also a psychotherapist influenced mainly by C.G. Young and James Hillman. In recent years, he has returned to his role as a non-aligned theologian, publishing his translation of the New Testament Gospels, writing in the sand, Jesus' spirituality, and the soul of the Gospels, and the soul of Christmas. His most recent book, Ageless Soul, this is his most recent book, and something that we're going to be focusing on today, it's fascinating. He lectures internationally and consults for organizations, and he consults privately. Uh, as I was talking to Dr. Moore, there's so many different ways I would like to take this interview, but where I'm going to really do my best to, to stay on point here and talk about um, our soul and aging. But as you hear from his uh, his bio, there are just so many uh, beautiful ways that we can transcend the interview. So what I would like to focus on, and we'll see how the conversation goes, is how uh, we should view aging and how can our spirituality become more important over time and as we age, and how tending to the health of our soul can lead to a deeper spirituality and and why this is important as we age. So this isn't just for people who uh, are over 50. We are all aging every single day, and we are going to be talking about that, and I can't wait for this interview. We will be back in a few minutes. Yeah. 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our number is 416-245-1534. And uh, our social sites at The Health Hub RMC on tw- tw- uh, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thomas, thank you so much for coming to the show. I have been looking forward to this interview all week. Well, thank you, Kathy, very much for having me. Uh, I, as I said, there's so many ways I'd like to go with this, but um, we're, we're dedicating this show to the aging process and the crossing of the soul and aging and uh, why you feel this is such an, a key aspect. But let's, um, if you could take some time and help us to see what your definition of the soul is and where that sort of crosses with spirituality, because that can be a, a fuzzy line for some people. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult uh, line to cross, you know, between soul and spirit, or living a soulful life and a spiritual one. But the difference is really has been important to me. And it, basically, the the spirit is uh, taking us into the future and taking us into a a big world of the unknown and the mysterious and uh, transcendence. You know, moves us moves us along into a great, great world. And soul is different. Soul is more about our everyday life. Like, I think the most important thing to us, to the soul, is to have a, a good home, you know, to place to, to just relax and feel that you're at peace and, and don't have to be out doing things. Um, that activity and trying to move into the future and be creative is actually part of the spirit. And uh, our, our spiritual practices and religion and all of that are part of that spiritual life, obviously. But the soul is probably more concerned about working and going, you know, taking care of your kids and having friends. And uh, maybe I, I think the soul has a lot to do with food. So cooking food and eating uh, and eating with pleasure and going out to a restaurant. Those are all very soulful things to do. And I think it helps your spiritual life to be uh, connected to that soul realm because it keeps the soul keeps you human, and the spirit kind of takes you into the the non-human world. So, it's a grounding type of idea. Yes, very grounding. Interesting. So. The soul then is something. Um, I'm in. I'm in uh, holistic nutrition, and that is one of the cornerstones of health for us. Um, and, and people have often asked me, you know, are you talking about spirituality and my beliefs? So this is not a belief system. This is a cultivation of self. Well, yes, it is. Although it's bigger than the self too. You know, it's the soul is also very deep and. Uh, so I, in my work, I do a lot of dream work, working with dreams and uh, a person's personal history, and those are very, very deep emotional things to deal with. And so the soul is is even deeper than the self. And uh, the spirit, uh, spirit too, you know, it's not, I don't think it's just about belief, um, but it's also about reaching uh, past ourselves, past what we know, and into the unknown. 
do we have to have okay is is can we refer to having a healthy soul or is that not the terminology you would apply to that oh i would yeah i'd say you can have a healthy soul or not i mean you know there are people with a very unhealthy soul that most of us i think all of us actually have experiences that wound us and hurt and uh those experiences are with us our whole lives you, know, you never really forget them and some things are so bad that they really affect a person uh, very, very deeply. And so um, I think it's very important to to think about the soul as uh, needing to be part of our health, not just our body, but the soul too. And you bring those together, and that becomes pretty interesting because as I imagine it, the, as I see medicine in the future, we will be, when we're sick, our doctor will be asking us, um, you know, what has happened recently in our lives and how are our relationships and what's your emotional life all about these days. And I think we'll, we'll make more connection between what's happening in our everyday lives and what's, what our symptoms are. So are you seeing that space in medicine open up? Because this harkens back to something that I was saying just in the introduction, that I see a movement towards people taking responsibility far more for their own health by their daily activities. So are you, you know, science is bearing this out in, in the, the avenue of sleep. So are you seeing now in your practice the space opening up in medicine where doctors are also considering this uh, aspect of health with their patients? Not very much. Mm. I mean, I do think things are changing, you know, but I, I find I go, I go and visit uh, hospitals and medical centers, and I talk to uh, uh, medical students uh, now and then, and I don't find them terribly open to this idea. And I think, I think the thing is that they're so preoccupied and so busy with their scientific training that what I have to say, these things seem like frosting on the cake or something that they really don't have time for because mm-hmm. they're, they're so focused on, on the science of it all. Um, so what, I, what I'm asking, really, I'm asking people in medicine is to imagine that there's a bigger world and that our illness fits into a meaningful life and not just our, our bodies as objects. I think we're moving slowly in that direction. As you say, you know, there's some signs of movement, but, wow, when I think of what I'd like to see, it, it feels to me like it's probably at least 100 years in the future. It's a different type of medicine to be practiced because our doctors now, and again, through no fault of their own, I don't think, the training is the training and the, the, the burden of patient load doesn't offer up um, really the opportunity maybe that both you and I would like to see for what we would call maybe a, a bedside manner. Well, you know, it starts, to some extent, it starts with the, the physicians and the nurses themselves. Um, they have to take care of themselves. I would say take care of their souls. You know, mm-hmm. That work is not easy these days, and I have great compassion for doctors who are, you know, so many are feeling burnt out by the work. I think that kind of burnout comes from not having a deep enough vision of what they're doing. So today with evidence-based medicine and with the emphasis on drugs um, for, for help or for surgery, on surgeries, um, you know, we really don't have a, a really deep, even a, even a spiritual basis for doing that work. So there's a, a tremendous amount of work to be done, and we just keep, I just keep plugging away at it and hoping that, you know, piece by piece we'll get there. Well, you know, when you offer a space to a patient that's ill just to talk, you can see the transformation when they're when they're given that opportunity to you know, maybe talk about their concerns of their health that aren't being addressed within, um, you know, within the hospital setting. But, you know, maybe this is why we're seeing such um, an impact lately of health coaches, because I think maybe this is a piece of the puzzle that was not there. I, I don't know what your opinion, I mean, to me, you are a health coach in essence, because you're dealing with a key aspect of health when you're working with people. Well, exactly. Yes, I of course, I believe entirely in the talking cure. You know, that's what we call it, psychotherapy. And uh, a lot of uh, therapists, I mean, especially psychiatrists, are turning to using only drugs. And I think that's really at the wrong direction to go. Uh, just listening to a, a patient in a hospital who's, who is dealing with a physical illness, 
course, you can't call it that. They're dealing with an illness, period. It's both physical and uh, emotional. So um, even just listening and being present to those people, that is a very, very important healing activity. So it doesn't, we're not talking about having to be, you know, having to become specialists now and study for years to learn how to do it. All you have to do is talk as human to human. And, you know, that's, that's missing in our society these days, isn't it? Texting and quick phone calls. People don't like to pick up the phone. Uh, this, know. You know, the sense of community, and, and we've had this discussion a few times before on the show, the sense of community uh, is not what it used to be. You know, my kids, um, they did play on the street uh, a little bit. They went to different schools than other people. Everyone sort of went their own ways. The sense of community and where you can, where you can cultivate um, those relationships we need to get back to that. You know, sitting around the table even is a place to start. Yes, we do. And, of course, the, the, the point is that the culture is moving unconsciously in directions that are not very human, not very healthy. Uh, so that means that we individually have to do it. You know, we have to, I always tell people, we have to become eccentric and we have to buck the system. We have to go against it. That's part of our job today. To, you can't just unconsciously be part of the way the society is going because it's not going in a good direction. But we can create our own lives and move them in directions that are different, that do emphasize what I'm calling the soul, you know, this, the deep human uh, way of, li- of living. And so we can uh, make a point to listen to people who are under distress just to listen and let them know that we're listening. And that's a big step forward. Well, when we're talking about uh, aging and our view on the soul, uh, and then just, you know, coming off of that last bit of our conversation, parents really have uh, a really large task in front of them because we're not, we, we don't start at the age of 50 to start thinking about our soul. This really needs to be instilled, I think, uh, by parents, you know, uh, easy things like sitting around and eating a meal, but they're very much facing, uh, they're trying to cultivate their own space and then trying to cultivate a familial space where soul can be, um, you know, strengthened. And they're fighting this this battle with, with kids who are growing up in a culture that doesn't open up space for this. So are, are you seeing that coming the next generation uh, this work is really going to become an, an important piece of health? Well, yes, it's a very important thing because it is possible that many young people today could unconsciously just adopt a high-tech way of life, and and then that, that soul element will be weakened even further. That's possible. On the other hand, there are signs that young people today are really looking for a different way of life. And they don't like the old, uh, a lot of the old things that people have done in the past that, uh, that have made life so difficult. So I think we have an opportunity now. We have to realize that aging begins, you know, at least when you're born, if not before. You know, aging begins when you're born. It, and to me, aging is not just adding years. It is becoming somebody. It's like you go through experiences. Uh, you learn, you travel, you meet people. You have to go through challenges in life. All of those things carve you into a real person and your own individual self. And the more you do that, that's aging. It's not growing older, it's aging. It's, uh, I, I've, I often use the example of aging cheese you know, or aged wine. It's something that, uh, where a process takes place. It's not, you don't just want an old piece of cheese you know, <laughs> lying around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You want age. That means that something has happened. There's been a chemical or, um, as some psychologists would say, an alchemical um, process that has gone on to make you into a person who has real values and a way of looking at the world in a big way, has thought things through, and through challenges and experiences has really become a real person. So that's what I see aging to be. Yeah, it's it's funny. I am a relative of mine. He's um, a younger a younger man in his twenties. He put a quote up uh, on social media, and and I, I I I really liked it. And it just it's hearkening back to me uh, when you're talking about um, you know cultivating soul, and maybe the, the younger generation is is going in a new direction. His quote was something to the effect of, "Just because I'm wandering doesn't mean I'm lost." 
And <laughs> we like see that. that, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And I, I, I held on to it because I knew at some point it was a quote that I wanted to use. Um, I see this with, uh, you know, my children have a couple of them are, are have gone through it. And they're, they're in a crossroads where they think maybe they should be at some place, but they're still wandering. And maybe this is a piece of this searching for soul that although they can't, you know, put a tag on it, this is what they're doing. Does that make yeah, sense you know, at all? I feel, I feel in my own life that I wandered till I was 50. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it took me a long time. And uh, then the things began to, to focus, and, you know, my life changed quite a bit at, at 50, but it took all that time where I didn't know really what, you know, who I was or what I was doing. And so all those experiences of the wandering were very, very helpful. I mean, I, I use, I st- I'm still using all that material. That's why I write so many books. You know, I've, so many things happened in the wandering, but it, it was a wandering for me. So I think you have to be patient about aging and not not push it, not worry about it so much. You know, it's so easy for, to uh, uh, to criticize ourselves and to worry. I think it's better to be patient and to enjoy who we are each step of the way, and then just watch as things change and you suddenly wake up one day and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm more mature than I was 10 years ago. Well, what was your aha moment? Because you certainly have had a, a, a past that has been filled with many experience. So when you woke up at the age of 50, when did you finally say that this is my path? What made you? Well, th- several things happened. First of all, um, I met the person who's my wife now. I had been married before and divorced. And then I met this. Uh, I met my wife at, when I was fifty, and uh, just a year or two later, we had our daughter. And she, um, my my wife, had a son. So we created a family uh, when I was fifty. And then my book, Care of the Soul, was really became very popular, and that put me into the world. You know, with a with a life work to do that I didn't know before. So these things sort of hit me over the head, and I had to. I was kind of dazed in those days. I had to figure out, how am I going to put all this together? And, but it did give me a life. And, uh, but it helped me appreciate all the years ahead before that, because even though I didn't have a clear direction, I was really uh, piling things up. I was really learning a lot, meeting very good people, interesting people, and going my own direction. You know, I, I made my own decisions and took risks and leaps and changes and so I think that's what aging is about. You don't know at the time maybe what's going on, but you look back, you know, and you see, oh, yeah, now I understand that. So is that what aging is? Is it being able to positively reflect back on what you've done? You've come to a point in your life and you're, you're you know, I, I imagine we're always cultivating our soul, but you come to a point in your life where you're able to put things in perspective. Is that when you know that I, I'm hitting my stride? Yes, I think so, exactly. You can't know ahead of time. And in the moment, in the in the moment, you're you're just trying to get along, you know, trying to sort things out and do the best you can. And you look back and you see how important certain certain experiences were and certain people were. Um, and then uh, that looking back, see, it's really that's so much a big part of psychotherapy, which is what I do with people all the time. We look back, and the looking back helps you get a sense of who you are and where you've come. And then you can more confidently live in the present. Well, this sense of perspective, unfortunately, you need patience for. And, uh, you know, I see maybe this is where where younger people are. This is where the shortfall is. I think that there's lots of opportunity. Kids are given so many choices now. Um, but then having that moment of perspective is something that, uh, that does require patience. Um, when we come back, I want to continue on cultivating the soul and get your thoughts on on what we can do to change our mindset about aging and the negative thoughts that often uh, come with that. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Fearing you lost 
was the one thing you didn't see coming and no one would blame you though if you cried in private if you tried to hide it away so no one knows no one will see if you stop believing Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Moore, author of The Ageless Soul and 25 other books. And uh, to me, this is inspiring because it's not spoken of what I feel to be enough. Uh, I think developing a self, developing soul and that crossover into a spirituality is vital for health. Uh, Thomas, there's been research uh, that has shown that your outlook, you know, this is crossing into the soul, I think, but your outlook, um, positive feeling about yourself does impact health. Um, How we, we, I think we skirted on it a little bit earlier on in the show, but I would like to spend some time in for you to give us ideas, Thomas, on how to cultivate our soul and, and, how we do this throughout life, not just when we get that knee jerk that, oh my gosh, we've hit 50 and we're, we're getting older. Yes, well, um, you cultivate it by knowing what, are, what things are important for a soul, which is different from, from spirit and from getting along in daily life. So, well, for example, one thing that's very important for your soul is to be doing work 
that um, that that manifests who you are. You know that really uh, where you are being able to be yourself and to um, have your own values and i and ideals um, be part of your work instead of just doing a job unconsciously and just doing it to make money. That's not enough. I understand that uh, there are times in our lives, and maybe for some of us, the whole lives are trying to find that job that will pay us well. But, you know, uh, for example, just you know, one example would be working um, on a radio show. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people on radio. I think that's a very soulful job. You know, you're talking to people, and something about listening, like listening intently if you're driving and listening to the radio, or if you're just at home and doing things and listening. That's a very intimate experience. So the person doing that work has a very soulful job in itself. Uh, there are other jobs as well that they don't have to be like mine where I'm actually focusing on the soul and psychotherapy. They could be uh, jobs that, uh, let's say, working in a store where you encounter people every day. You can make those encounters more real uh, without being too weird about it. You know, you can... You can just be present. You can acknowledge that and realize that everyone that you have to deal with is a human being just like you. And you can make a connection with people, even though it's only very temporary and not terribly profound. I think these, these daily connections we make with people, if we did them uh, with a little more awareness and not just uh, just you know overlook the humanity and the people we encounter... I think that would begin to create a soulful society. So anything we do, but especially our work, can be very important for our our life of soul. But we have to do it with some awareness and intention. Otherwise, you know, unconsciousness is the problem. Just just going about things automatically, not even just not even realizing that you're actually dealing with people. Um, and so that awareness is is the first step, I would say. And uh, so I'm just saying now, out of many, many areas of life that we could focus on, our daily work is one where soul could really be present. We're, well, we're talking about being present, living in the now, which is something that is a great challenge. Um, you know, the word that comes to me when we're talking about aging and being able to have perspective is, is maturing. Do those two lines cross for you? Oh, yes. I mean, maturing is certainly uh, an important part of this, uh, living with soul and aging, aging the way I'm describing it, because it isn't, it, as I said before, it isn't just letting time go by. It's maturing. You become somebody. You become more of who you are capable of being. You, you see more. Your values sharpen. You have a job to do, and, you know, you have a destiny to fulfill. The more you realize uh, that the world needs you and that the world is really needy today and you have a job, you can make your own contribution, however big or small it is, then you have a destiny and you can mature into that destiny. You can mature into it. Otherwise, you remain at the same place all your whole life and that is not aging. That, and that's why I think when people get older, if they haven't aged, they, they're lost. You know, they feel they don't know what to do. Let's say with retirement, people don't know exactly what to do because they've worked hard, but they haven't really thought enough about their work and haven't let it transform as they have lived into something that really manifests who they are. And so aging and retirement can be empty. It all depends on how you've lived your life. If you, if you do mature every step of the way, I think you'll be happier when you get a lot older. Is is the fear of death uh, and the, this part of aging something that you think can be mitigated if we're cultivating our soul properly, if we're focusing on a legacy that we'll be leaving for our family? I, 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 that, that, that to me seems to be people's biggest fear, but is it a misplaced fear because we're not nurturing our soul? Yes, I suppose there, you know, fear of, fear of dying, fear of death is, uh, is certainly something. There's a way in which we all, are, I think most people will have that fear, just sort of instinctual for us. Mm -hmm. But we can also put it in perspective and not be uh, 
not become too neurotic about it. You know, you can uh, you can have a you develop your spiritual life. That this is where the spirituality really helps. A big vision, a big vision. See, I don't see spirituality so much about um, doing what is right and and uh, you know following the teachings you've been given as a person all your life. I think it's more about making this discovery that there's a great world out there that's quite unknown and and um, you can be focused on that and and uh, to have your own spiritual practices like you might uh, you know you might have your own practices of meditating like for me personally people ask me how I meditate I meditate at the piano I, I've been playing the piano all my life and I get lost in the piano when I play the piano I, 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 I play classical music and I I'm just lost. I'm gone, and that's what you're looking for in meditation. That kind of uh, uh, um, getting away from self, uh, you know, being so conscious of yourself. And uh, so there are very there are many different ways in which we can prepare for dying. I think meditating is one way. Finding some way for some people it might be just going on a hike and getting lost in nature getting so you know caught up in in your walking and looking at things and just focusing on the ground or the trees or whatever and uh, so there are different ways to meditate and to, and that is a cultivation of your spirituality which i think is the best preparation for dying if you feel that you have passed on something valuable in this area in, of soul, of cultivating other people's self, helping them, helping, for instance, your children or your grandchildren. Do you think the transition from this life is a much easier one? Oh, I don't think it's easier. I don't know. Um, to me, the, the, the most difficult part of it is saying goodbye to the mm-hmm. people you have been you know, loved for all these years. and So you have to have some way of making sense of all of that. And I think that's why it's important to to have an active spiritual life. Uh, but I, what I mean by it, uh, it's kind of hard to express. I don't mean just, it's not enough just to go to church every week, you know. It's not enough. You have to really uh, commit yourself to, to trying to sort out the big questions for yourself and um, develop your own sense of ethics and values and really mm-hmm. live by them. And be engaged with people, you know, really, um, if you see injustice and uh, people who need help, you really respond. When you do all those things, you are enlarging your sense of self. That's what you need in order to die with some peace. You need a bigger self, a, a much larger sense of self. And you can do that every single day in very simple ways. It's a daily practice, as is meditation. Yes, it's a daily practice, absolutely. Interesting. And as I say, it's very simple. My playing the piano is part of it. That's helping me die because I'm, I'm getting lost. I'm dying to myself as I play. I, I get lost in the music. And it all comes through my fingers and the sounds. And to me, that, that uh, spiritual practice that is very close to the body and close to the things of the world and not trying to escape the world, I think that's the kind of spiritual practice that is most useful. So living while we're living, and I mean, we're never going to get rid of the fear of death, but the more we can make it a practice to live life as it is right now in the moment is is a cultivation of soul and, and a movement towards sort of a healthier death. Does that, does that? Well, you know, if you want me to be honest about this, you know, um, I didn't say anything about being in the moment because that's not really my thing. I don't. Okay. I don't think of it that way. I don't think of, oh, I have to really, you know, live now at this moment. And because I live in the past a lot, you know. I, this music I play is written in the past, and I love that, that it, I'm, I'm playing music that people imagined a century ago. That's great. And I like to spend a lot of time thinking about my own past and realizing how much my past is part of my life today. And I, I want a relationship with the people that I was close to in my earlier years and uh, just recently I've been putting some papers together to be preserved at a university and I've had to read through old letters. I, I just love that. You know, that's really soulful, a soulful thing to do. I'm not in the moment at all. I'm way back in the past. 
I'm just letting myself drift into the past and be there with people. So I think we need a broad sense of time. And it's not... Jung used to say this. Uh, Carl Jung said that it's so important to extend the sense of your time so you're not just in the moment. You're far in the past and you're also thinking about the future and thinking about your legacy. That can also help. So I would say expand your sense of time. Don't narrow it. Expand your sense of time and your sense of who you are, your, yourself. And that is good preparation for death, but it's good preparation for life, too. I like that very much. So we don't have to give up our youth as we're getting older. No. No, it's very important to keep your youth as you go. My dad died at 100, and he was one of the youngest 100 <laughs> years old I've ever known. He never grew up, he told me. You know, he, he just remained uh, quite young. And so to be able to stay in touch with your youth, um, I do it by trying to be around children uh, and uh, let them give me some of that youthfulness or by um, doing things I used to do when I was young as much as I can or going back in memories, telling stories of those things that happened when I was younger, trying to be young rather than old, not to, not to um, what's the word, like collapse into old age, you know, and mm-hmm. just not do anything about it. I think we have to... Uh, do what we can to be young as we get older. Um, there, there are two things you need to do. It's paradoxical. Acknowledge your age and, try, and also remain young. Do both of those things at the same time and you're in pretty good shape. I love that. I love that a lot. Um, I, this uh, has been such a wonderful conversation. I just love talking uh, on this plane with people because it's just not cultivated enough. So I really do thank you, Thomas, for coming to the show. It's truly been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's so easy to talk to you about these difficult things. Thank you. And now, if people are interested in um, finding out more about you, purchasing books, where is the best place they can go to? The best place would be my website, which is thomasmoresoul.com. Okay, and we'll put all your information up when the podcast comes up. Again, thank you so much. It's just been a brilliant conversation talking with you, and I do appreciate the time. Everybody, thank you. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.